it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So if you've made a horror movie on your phone, or your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix Reba McIntyre, Kevin Bacon, a worm, and Joe Dirt's dad? Why you get the film Tremors. everyone and welcome to another episode of the terrible terror podcast uh i really hope you guys enjoyed the last uh couple of episodes the bonus episode as well as the full-fledged episode with the angry dad on chud i had a lot of fun doing both and we'll talk about the other one a little later because i do want opinions and i want to hear things from the people that actually listen to it um you know i know from the people that are on the outside i know from the people that do listen regularly, but, you know, it's always fun to hear, especially new listeners, uh, what you guys think and what you guys would like to hear more of. So, but this time I am back, uh, and we're almost done with, I know people hate it when you call it seasons, but I'm almost done with season three. Um, basically I kind of view every year as a season from the beginning of the podcast and the podcast originated on the 23rd of September, back just three years ago so we're about to head into season four and good lord that is going to be uh something weird because i can't believe i've been doing this for that fucking long uh but we're not here to talk about that we were here to talk about that at the end of the episode uh but we're here to talk about tremors and oh my god it has been a long ass time since i've seen this movie and this is, again, I don't do this very often. I kind of just go into it, except for when I feel you need to. If you have not seen Tremors before, and or maybe you haven't seen it in a while, stop this, go find it, go watch it. Because it is an entertaining movie. That's it. Like, I, I could just stop this right there and be like, go watch Tremors. Done. But no, we're going to go through everything like we normally do. And of course, there's plenty of things to go, as some people would have tell me, uh, to shit on. But <laughs> it's mostly just like talking about the film and what I find ridiculous and everything like that. But Tremors is one of those films, yeah, there's not a whole lot to it, okay? It's, it's beauty is in its simplicity. It is a monster movie. It is a odd monster movie with great practical effects uh these are some of the best practical effects i have seen in watching these films in a while i love the way the graboids look uh everything about it is just fun the only there are gripes in terms of the way the dialogue works and the way of some of the characters and there's a couple of little goofs here and there that i even caught on my second time viewing it which was you know going through for the audio and stuff like that 
So, and it's really hard to be like, oh, this piece of audio is great because it does this. There's so many, like, little small jokes I just kind of have to cut out, and I'd love to play them all, but they just don't really do anything in terms of the model that I've set for the podcast. So, if there's something that's missing that you absolutely love, I may talk about it, I may skip over it, but go watch the film because it's in there. And there's a lot of really little nuanced things. There's a talk about the things taking dumps that I did not put in there. <laughs> Bert, the character Bert, well, these things have to take a dump somewhere. Like, I couldn't just like, oh, great, let me grab that five seconds of audio. I'll put it in here. And then it's like, wait, but there's really nothing else like of context other than this is a really funny quote. So even some of the, the quotes or the audio that I do have, you're going to be like, huh, that's kind of weird the way that it's done and cut. Yeah, it tells what I want, but it's still, like, difficult. This movie is like, the way I feel about it, it's like listening to an album that you have to listen to start to finish, right? If I could, and just do a commentary track on this that you could listen to the entire time you're watching the movie, maybe that would have been better for this. I could have just recorded myself while I was watching the movie, made a commentary track, and just... Boom, put that out as a podcast and say, all right, start the film here and let's go. And maybe for another movie, I will do something like that. Who knows? But this is, like I said, it's an album that you want to watch start to finish. You just want to get everything that you want because it's so entertaining, at least to me. I know there's probably people out there like, oh my God, this is the worst. How could you do fucking Tremors? Oh, I can't believe. And then there's people like, well, frankly, Ben from the last episode, who is like, it's a classic. And to me, yeah, this is a classic. And this is like right in the wheelhouse for me of like when... I would start liking certain types of horror movies, or I could actually stomach certain types. See, and I've talked about it before, but like my cousins and my uncle, you know, when I was a lot older than them, but younger uh, than I am right now, you know, in my much, much, much aligned youth, uh, they would come over and, you know, at the young age that they were, were watching Aliens and fucking Halloween and A Nightmare for Elm Street, and that scared the living shit out of me, so I didn't watch it. I really got my horror love, like, later on, but mostly classic horror when I was really younger. And, but when it came to about this time, and this is about when I hit 10, I was interested in seeing certain types of movies because of what they were. And I remember Tremors being one of those films where my parents were like, okay, he's old enough to watch it where he's not going to get afraid, but, you know, I still could be scared of it. Like, if I get scared of it, I'm not going to be, like, not being able to go to sleep. Like, when I first saw Aliens with my cousin, and it took me forever to watch that film again. Um, you know, because the Queen Alien gave me nightmares. But here, this is about the time where I was like, huh you know what, I can watch these types of films, and that was great. So I have a big, like, nostalgic pull for this movie, and I have not seen this in probably about 10 to 15 years. Uh, and that, I think, is way too long since last seeing Tremors, because, oh my god, uh, it is just fantastic uh, of a film. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Like I said, 
if you haven't, just pause it right here. And if you haven't already, pause it right here. Go watch the movie. Come back and then listen to the whole thing. If you decide that you want to listen to this first because you want a, a feeling of the film, if you like the way that it goes halfway through this podcast, pause it. Go watch the movie. But the ultimate message is go watch the movie because it's worth your time. So we start out out in the desert and we see that there are two guys that are, well, we focus in on Kevin Bacon, and he plays the character of Valentine. And he's waking up, I guess, from a job that they've been doing, uh, or I guess this is where they stay in their truck in the middle of the field. And we go over in the back, and we see that his buddy, uh, Earl, played by Fred Ward, of, if, if you don't, I mean, you probably recognize Kevin Bacon when I say the name of him, right? Now, Fred Ward, you might not recognize, but here are some films that you may recognize him from. Corky Romano, uh, and Joe Dirt. Uh, he's been in a lot more. Uh, but there was another one in between there besides those two, uh, that was also one of those types of films. But Joe Dirt, honestly, that's where I remember him from because he plays Joe Dirt's dad, uh, in that film. But he plays Earl in this and he's fast asleep in the back of the truck. Uh, Val, and that's what I'm gonna call Valentine from the rest of this, okay? Cause he's basically Val in the movie. Val sees that he's sound asleep and decides to wake him up. You dumb shit. <laughs> I was in a stampede once. 300 head going hell bent for the horizon. Now, exactly how many cows are required for a stampede, Earl? I mean, is it like three or more? Is, is there a minimum to be? Now, the first, like, six or seven minutes of this film is really kind of based around the relationship that these two have. See, they're kind of like the handyman or the, you know, fixer-uppers of the town of perfection, right? And that's, they kind of, it seems like they either live on the outskirts or they live in their truck or... They're basically like, this town is a podunk fucking little town in the middle of nowhere with a population of about 12 people. And honestly, I can't believe these guys do the shit that they do. But a lot of it is spent, like I said, of them kind of just mucking around town, doing the little odds and ends jobs that nobody does for a little bit of money. And here, I'll let them talk a little more about it. I ask you. This is a job for intelligent men. Well, show me one. I'll ask him. Well, I mean, if we were real serious about money, we'd quit being hired hands. Handyman, Earl. We are handyman. Yeah, yeah. Would you quit this job and we'll find ourselves some real employment? Are you going to give up all this personal freedom? I don't know. So Earl is the one that always has kind of like the plan, right? And everything is something about a plan. You got to have a plan. We got to make sure there's a plan. You always got to do a plan. Make sure you have a plan, Val. Val, that's your problem. You never have a plan. You never know where you're going to go in life. And Val is kind of the free-spirited, like, young guy out of the two. Even though I think Kevin Bacon, though he looks incredibly young in this movie, I mean... Like, he looks baby-faced in this movie compared to where he is now and the career that he's had. But I even think back in 1990, he had to be, like, at least reaching his 30s at this point 
because but he still looks like he's a fucking teenager like it's amazing like you would look at somebody nowadays that has a lot of plastic surgery and you'd be like wow they look like kevin bacon did back in 1990 but Earl here is kind of like the fatherly figure and the more of a mentor to him. And he want to make sure that he does well in life. And they basically, like I said, they go around and they do all these little jobs. And that's them fixing up the fence around where the cows were on the outskirts of town. Once they fixed everything up... Oh, and I should say, there are a couple running themes besides the plan thing. That's definitely one of them. The other one is the fact that there's always Rochambeau going on. Or rock, paper, scissors. Not necessarily the one where you have to kick the other in the nuts, but the one where you have to hit your hands a couple, you know, upon your other hand and form the shape of a rock, paper, or scissors. And Earl always wins. No matter what the case is, Earl wins every single fucking time. And I just don't get it, but that's the way that it is. And that could be something to do with maybe the age and how wise he is and how free-spirited Kevin Bacon's character is. He has these dreams and aspirations that he wants to do, but doesn't have a way to plan them out. And here, we'll talk about another one of the dreams uh, after he meets the college student that's doing seismic uh, operations out in the desert of Nevada. You will have... Long blonde hair, big green eyes, world-class breasts, ass that won't quit, and legs that go all the way up. Hi, I'm Rhonda, Rhonda Lebeck. I'm up here for the semester. Yeah, geography. Geology. Yeah, well, actually, seismology. Earthquakes. And you two must be Val and Earl. I've heard all about you. We deny everything. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, I've got a question for you. Do you know if anybody's doing any drilling or blasting or anything like that? (laughs) Around here? No, ma'am. Well, I'm supposed to monitor these seismographs. Well, you know, they measure vibrations. Vibrations in the ground. Yeah. Well, I've been getting some really strange readings. I mean, the school's had these machines up here for three years, and we've never recorded anything like this. Well, we'll ask around, uh, you know, see if anyone's heard anything. Thanks. God, I hope they're not broken. I might have to bag the whole semester. Anyway, sorry to bother you. No problem. Nice meeting you. Hope you get it all sorted out. So first off, let's talk about what Valentine wants to have as his ideal woman. Basically, he wants her to be blonde, big-titted, big-ass, and long-legged. Okay, so he wants Jessica Rabbit with a fucking wig on. That's what he fucking wants. And honestly, like, if he keeps living up to those aspirations, he's never going to get anywhere, as Earl explains to him. You know, if you wanted, we could uh, take a look at those... Uh... Uh, seismographs for if you want. What the hell do we know about seismographs? Nothing. There sure might be a slick way to get snore. Why? Damn it, Valentine. You won't go for any gal unless she fits that stupid list of yours from top to bottom. Well, sure. Yeah, and it's dumber than my hind end. I mean, like that, that, uh, Bobby Lynn Dexter. Tammy Lynn Baxter. Don't matter. They're all the same. Dead weight. Ooh, I broke a nail. Makes my skin crawl. Well, I'm a victim of circumstance. I thought you'd call it your pecker. 
Okay, so Earl is definitely wise beyond his years, even though he's not the most wise guy that's out there. And, you know, including most of the town of perfection that they, you know, service and live around. I still don't know exactly if they live there or what, but I'm sorry, the population isn't actually uh, 12, it's 14, I guess, if you include them or you include whoever is moving into the town. But, hey, whatever, who gives a shit? So, <laughs> the other thing about both situations is it's honestly obvious that she's really into him. Like, she sees him and she starts kind of flirting with him at the end of the scene when they drive away. She starts looking, oh, I've got that, you know, white shit on your nose. Now, if you remember back in the day, or some people still do it, they put sunscreen only on specific areas and you lay it on thick. And because she's out there searching in the desert, searching in the rocks, she's got to look like some stereotypical archaeologist and has to have the goddamn sunscreen all over her fucking nose she realizes it and then she feels embarrassed because she's wearing that in front of kevin bacon's valentine and honestly uh, that's not what i would worry about <laughs> like she's got like and i don't want to talk about somebody's looks and be like oh well she's really cute and or she's not cute at all and blah 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 but honestly like she's a little plain jane and i think that's what kind of makes her attractive or supposed to for the audience supposed to show that this is the right not the necessarily the right way to go but maybe where you should go and that's kind of what maybe earl is trying to portray to him as well is that hey they're not all gonna fit your stereotype of being big titted like tight ass long leg blonde bimbos that have absolutely nothing going for them sometimes you just need a very smart plain jane to be the woman that you need to go after it's perfectly fine. I mean, though, if I was Kevin Bacon, well, maybe at that time that might be the best that he can get. I don't really know. Uh, but he is Kevin Bacon, so I'm pretty sure that fame can do a lot for some people. So they drive into town and they go into Walter Chang's shop, who has the only shop in all of perfection. And of course, he's like the stereotypical, like, Asian guy just trying to make money from everything that he possibly can. And so this is also where we get to meet Bert and Heather. Heather happens to be played by Reba McIntyre, and I didn't recognize her right away because even she looks really young. Now, I remember from such things as the KFC commercial where she played the Colonel, as well as her show Reba. Yes, I know with KFC first. I'm pretty sure, though, for most people, that actually might be where you last remember her. Not necessarily for her music, you know, I'm not the biggest country fan in the world, but, you know, I probably know the pop culture references, and my wife used to really like watching the Reba McIntyre show, and I could never quite understand why she liked that thing. But this is where we get to meet her and her husband, who happens to be some type of weird World War III believer that, like, it's going to be coming soon, so he's a survivalist who purposely built his compound out in this small little location, and this is when we get to actually meet them for the first time. What you been doing? Well, we ran in that new college student, that Rona. Rhonda. Yeah, she's having some trouble with her, uh, 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 things. You know, those, uh, college kids turn up oil or uranium or something out there? Next thing, the feds will be at our door. Sorry, time to move. Eminent domain. Down, honey, down. Yeah, Bert. Well, you worry. You're gonna have a heart attack before you get a chance to survive World War III. We'll see, we'll see. Hey, guys, listen. Bearing going out. What do you think? Could be. Uh, catch you later, Chang. We've got a schedule to keep. Oh, yeah. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Earl, explain it to me. 
Yeah, I really like that phrase at the end of it. We plan ahead so that we don't do anything right now. Basically, he's just saying we plan ahead so that way we have work to do in the future. And of course, Val takes that in a very different way than actually Earl originally meant it to. And so you also have to... I left that little bit in there with the machine because that comes back later, as you may or may not already know. But it's weird that it's just like, oh, well, here's the college student out there digging. Well, if they find this and that, you can see how fucking paranoid Bert is already. And it's kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. The fact that he's this, like, doomsday sayer or some shit like that, that he's got... Obviously, something stockpiled away somewhere in some place, but you really don't know what else is going on. In the beginning, it's kind of like the first, I don't know, I would say the first 15 to 20 minutes or so are really just meeting the different characters. Some that may end up being a fodder, some that may have not being it, but really kind of seeing the surroundings of this town of perfection. It's one of those times in the in a film when they do these types of things where it works really well, but here's kind of the weird thing. We also kind of get an idea of what might be going on out there. Because after we see everybody here inside of the, uh, you know, the general store that's out there, plus we're also introduced to Melvin, who I fucking hate. Melvin can go die in a fucking fire, okay? Man, that is the most annoying fucking, like, teenage boy character in the history of teenage boy fucking characters, and we'll talk more about him later, because I really don't need to go into fucking Melvin right now. Uh, okay. Gotta calm down. Uh, remember what your doctor said. Just forget about Melvin. You'll be fine. Breathe in. Melvin out. Breathe in. Melvin, that motherfucker, he's gonna... Okay, anyway, so we go back out into the desert and we see Rhonda. And Rhonda, she is, you know, collecting her little seismic information. And then it kind of starts jumping off the hook. But she doesn't realize anything is going wrong. We then go into worm vision or low camera vision because we really don't get it well we do a couple times i guess i should say get it from perspective of one of the graboids i may call them worms they're graboids okay but they really don't get named till much later in the film and it basically follows after you see the rising of the dirt and that it's going after and looks like it's about to get her and then it doesn't and it cuts away and i'm like shouldn't have gotten her like it got her right away but i have a feeling that if memory serves me right and right now it's not serving me the best because melvin is fucking stuck in there that little fucking piece of shit oh okay uh but <laughs> i think she jumps on some rocks and we'll explain what the significance of that is later we then go back and we see that uh good old val and earl they're taking care of some garbage and they basically piled everything up and they stop take a break and they stop to think about is this really the real life? Like, or is this just some type of fantasy that they're living in right now? Well, I'll tell you. Nobody handles garbage better than we do. Yep. Oh, come on, Earl. Now, this is low. We have got to set our sights a little bit higher. Hey, Melvin, why don't you give us a hand? Most of this shit is yours anyway. Listen, run down to the store and pick me up a six-pack. I'll pay for it. Run! Beard for adults. You know, not having a plan is what keeps us doing jobs like this. Just doing jobs like this is you dragging your feet. Oh, you're going to stand there and tell me in broad daylight that I'm the reason we're still in perfection? 
You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? I'll call that little bluff. How close? So, if you don't know what's going on in the scene, and that's why, like, I think you should, guys should totally see it, but the fact of the matter is that the first in the thing, kind of dreaming, like, hey, you know, we should be doing something better with our lives. Val seems a little more like the dreamer, but again, like I said, Earl feels like the guy that's the fatherly figure in this situation, and he's like, you've always got to have a type of plan and need to get out of there. And then you got fucking Melvin sitting on the side fucking asking for beer. I know he's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from his monstrosity, but honestly, he's fucking asking them to buy beer, and he's just a fucking little lazy kid sitting down while they're emptying the fucking septic tank. And that's what you hear at the end of this fucking thing, is the septic tank itself exploding in their face, and that's really what is the last straw to drive them out of perfection. That they decide they need to go up to Brixby, because Brixby is supposedly the bigger city, I don't know, maybe it has a population of 30, because you've never actually seen it in this fucking movie. But they want to go out and actually do something more. And being sprayed in the face with shit while a little fucker on the fucking little lawn chair asking you to buy him beer. It just fucking doesn't do anything. Doesn't, uh, can't get rid of his own fucking shit. You okay. I've never had a septic tank before, okay? But we had a sewage thing in the backyard. Uh, and every once in a while, that shit would get clogged. It would either get clogged from my sister, uh, you know, doing things, or people using too much toilet paper. I don't know who that might be. Um, but, you know, I would sometimes be have to go out there and actually help my dad get, like, this snake and do some of those things. Not all the time. I'm not saying that, like, hey, I had to go out there and get the boots, but I've had to do it a couple times, and that means getting rid of my own shit, Okay. And here it is. They've got the worst fucking, like, pump, like, ever. It's... The thing is rusted as fuck. They're using duct tape to apply it to the end of the thing. And then when it starts, like, collecting the stuff, when the pump starts turning on, it sprays fucking everywhere. And this kid doesn't get a piece of shit on him at all. I mean, it sprays way up in the air. And all he can do is do a fucking Nelson and fucking just, ha-ha, over at him while he they're fucking getting sprayed in the face with shit. I would have left town because Melvin is a fucking dick. That would have been the first fucking thing. I'd be like, that little son of a bitch lives here? I need to get the fuck... Okay, I need to stay away from Melvin for a little bit. (sighs) Okay. Anyway, so they decide to pack up everything and just get the fuck out of there. And... As they're telling everybody that they're going away, they run across one of the other people that they normally help deal with the firewood, and she makes them an offer that maybe they cannot refuse. Hi. Sorry, Nancy. We're not delivering firewood anymore. We're heading for Bixby Permanent. Oh, sure. Oh, my God, you really are. Hey, Mindy. What's the count? 640. Guys, look, I don't need firewood. I have this big order to fill, and I have to build my new pottery kiln. Come on, it'll be at least a month's work. I'll throw in lunches. And beer. I can't believe we said no to free beer. (laughs) We did it, we did it, we faced temptation and did not fear. Goddamn praise the Lord. Now there is nothing, and I mean nothing between us and Bixby, but nothing. 
So they drive out, and as they're driving out of town, and honestly, free beer, is that really going to keep anybody? You literally had shit flung into your face, and that was going to be your reason for leaving. And then she goes, free beer, and you have to think about it for a second? Like, is that really worth your dignity to having more fucking shit? If that's fucking Walter's equipment, why doesn't he at least fix the equipment or give you guys enough money to so you can get some real fucking equipment? If that's your fucking equipment. You know what your problem is? Maybe you are spending all your extra money on beer and not the stuff that can actually... Or charging the rates that you should be charging, even if you're in a little small podunk fucking town-like perfection. So, anyway, as they drive out of town... They notice something up on top of... uh, Well, first they drive past a couple workers who are working on the side of the road. They go and they see a bunch of power lines and they see somebody's hanging up there. And that happens to be Edgar. And so they call out to him. They play Rochambeau. Again, uh, Val loses and has to climb up there and see what's going on. And they notice that Edgar is dead. They run back to town. uh, And on the way, they stop by the doc's office who lives just outside of Perfection. You see, he and his wife are building, like, the dream house, but they're still living there and they help the town out with whatever they need in terms of medical-wise. He explains to them that Edgar here died of thirst, which leaves both of them very surprised because they would have thought that something else would have done it to them. See, they thought something chased him up there, and even they say that, like, something that's not afraid of his shotgun. So I guess he's the only guy that truly lives on the outside of town and really wants to get away or be away from people, I'd kind of put Bert and Heather into that mix, except for they're more like doomsday preppers, like okay with people, where I guess this guy was like the crazy guy, you get it on his property, he's probably going to, you know, put you full of lead or some shit like that. But he managed to get up there, and then something basically held him up there until he died three days later from dehydration, basically. While they're finding this out, that's when we get to learn about the fate of another guy that kind of lives on the outskirts of town, Fred. You see, he's working in his little dirt field or his dirt farm. And honestly, I don't know how he can grow anything out there because this is like Nevada desert. Yet some things are happen to be in the ground and he's got sheep that are plentiful. Well, we see the ground start to quake. Something comes over to him and then slowly pulls him underneath the ground. And then the scene fades out. We cut back over to Val and Earl and they're driving on their way out of town again. As they're going by, they stop by Fred's farm because they notice something is very odd. Well, the very odd thing is is there's a bunch of sheep parts fucking laying all over the fucking ground. And blood is everywhere. They call out for Fred. They look inside of his little shack. They look out on the field and they see his hat there. Val grabs his hat and underneath the hat happens to be Fred's head. So guess what? Fred is dead. So, oh god, that's such a bad fucking dad joke rhyme or some shit like that. But anyway, they rush back into town and they go to Walter's to basically call the police, but Walter's phone doesn't work. And that's where everybody kind of starts getting worried about what exactly has gone on with Fred. What are you doing it? I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying, some of my cattle are missing. Are you serious? Oh, Fred's dead? Do something like that. Said, Come on, you're bullshitting me right I mean, that's now. What happened, Fred? No worse than Edgar. What happened to Edgar? You won't believe it. I need one of those candy bars. I believe this. The phone is dead. Walter, your phone is dead. I didn't do it. Nectar, what's happening? Somebody killed old Fred. What do we do? What's going on? Now look, Val. You gotta get to Bixby, and you gotta get the police up here, and you gotta step on it. Consider it stepped on. 
So when they were on their way back with Fred, I should have also mentioned the fact that they went by those guys that were working on the road and they let them know that somebody was dead, right? Or that there's a killer loose because they recognized that Fred was dead as well as Edgar being dead. So these people didn't believe they just had to work on it. And that's when they basically were digging into the ground with one of those giant jackhammers and they accidentally jackhammered one of the graboids in the head. Which took the giant jackhammer down the street for one of the clips that you see in actually the trailer for the film. And then took the guy that had the jackhammer on with it. They slammed him into a bunch of rocks, therefore killing both this guy and the other guy. And also causing a uh, basically like a cave-in on the road. And that happens to be the only way out of the town. So when Val and Earl show up trying to go to Bixby this time, they come up to that part of the road and they see that the rocks have all fallen over and is blocking their way out of town. They back up, but something grabs onto the car. Earl blames Val, saying that he's stalling it. And Val's like, no, I'm not stalling the car. Everything's okay. And they're able to break free, and they go back into town. They arrive there, and basically everybody's surprised that they're even in town. And how are they back so early? And that's when they find something on the back of the truck. No way. Nah. Coyotes didn't kill Fred. Hey, it's Val and Earl. were torn to pieces. They shouldn't be here already. Thought you two were Bixby by now. Oh, I'm never gonna believe this. Canyon Road, you're on not two hours. Oh ago. my god. Ugh. Oh, Bert, be careful. Ugh. Real. Where'd you get it? I don't know he had it. Disgusting. Have a snake? More like like a deal to me. How eels live in the water, don't they? Big mother slug baby. Don't touch, don't touch! Relax. It's dead. Must have grabbed us. That's why the truck stalled out. Next time I tell you I'm not hung up. Hey, wait, this stalled out your truck? You have to be one strong son of a bitch. Thanks, too. I'll give you boys five dollars for this. Twenty. Okay, ten. Fifteen. Okay, fifteen. Damn right, fifteen. I don't believe you guys. Snake. Some kind of mutation. Yeah. Whatever it is, just one of these could need up Fred and his whole flock of sheep. So you think there are more of them out there? Okay, so one of my favorite little goofs that happened in this scene is when Earl goes and takes out his gun. See, when they first see the creature underneath there, Everybody starts taking out the weapons because they're going to go and basically kill the thing, I guess. If it's a giant snake, like they say. And it basically looks like one giant orange snake. And they talk about how it smells. And that's also one of the running things. And if you really want to, you can go. And I can't believe I spent about an hour on this on the Wikipedia page for the Graboid. And you can actually see the evolution of all the Graboids in what stages and what films and the physiology and everything... People, you are fucking insane, okay? To be able to go in and actually like, create this just from the movie and go on from there. Of course, there's a lot more source material that 
people have written and people have probably created stuff, but the fact that you guys are taking the time to go in there and create that stuff, absolutely insane. My hat is tip off to you because it actually is a really interesting read and it doesn't take any more than like a couple minutes, but I went through and was like trying to learn more and more, but... Again, that's for a different type of podcast. That's the Graboid Pod. That's coming up later this month on the network. And we're going to talk about the, uh, you know, mating rituals of the male Graboids, as well as talk about, you know, uh, what do you do on a Graboid first date? Uh, how do you, you know, escape the Graboids easily? Um, do Graboids fly or am I just seeing shit? But no, that's actually called an ass blaster. Uh, you know, what are the stages of the Graboid life? You get to hear it all with our very special guest, uh, Kevin Bacon, who will never show up on the podcast ever. So, <laughs> it, it looks really good, like what you see on the back of the truck. Like, I'm very surprised for a film from 1990 to have the creature work that this film does, because... Even just the thing that's on the back of the truck looks great. Now, the funny part that I was trying to get into was the fact that when everybody takes out their guns, Earl takes out his gun, and you see his pack of cigarettes just fly across the screen. And I didn't notice it on the very first viewing. I noticed it when I was grabbing the audio because I end up watching the scenes again. And so he grabs it, and you just see the pack just fly across, land underneath one of the cars, and that's fucking it. Like, it's weird, it's odd that they left it in there, must have been the best take that they had the entire time, or it just kind of fits the character, so, hey, let's just leave it in the fucking movie. We also get to find out in this scene how horrible of negotiators they are. No wonder why they haven't left this town, or made enough money to fix the fucking tools that they used, because, honestly, for that thing down there, how much are you gonna get for it? Fifteen fucking dollars? He's lowballing you at twenty, and then you guys are like, oh, well, I'm sorry, he's really lowballing you at five, but then you say, oh, 20, and then he's like 10, and you're like 15. Like, no, don't go to fucking 20, you fucking twat. Go up to fucking 50, 200, 300. He says five, you say a thousand, and then maybe you're gonna meet in the middle for 500 bucks. Then you can really get out of here. And yes, this is 1990 bucks, so maybe you can't get $500 in a town like that. I get it. But $20? $20 is not going to take you that fucking far, guys, even in fucking 1990. I should know. That was like two packs of fucking magic cards, and that's about it. Actually, it probably would have given me three, and if I could have wiggled a couple more bucks, I might have gotten four. Uh, but, you know, definitely that was at least a dual fucking land, okay? You need more for that fucking thing. So... Here they are, they get the thing off the truck, they sell it over to Walter, and then we find out exactly what Walter is going to be doing with it a little later on in the film. After this, we go back into the desert and we see the doctor and his wife, and they're basically calling it a day. And all of a sudden, the lights go out with everything. And they realize that maybe something's gone wrong with the generator. They go over to the spot where the generator is, and then all of a sudden, it flies out of the ground because it had sunken into the ground, and we know what's going to happen next. Then the doctor, he gets grabbed by one of the graboids and slowly is dragged into the ground. His wife goes to try to help him out, but if I was him, I'd just let her go because there's no way that you're getting back up because you're probably getting eaten at the same fucking time. But no, he holds on to her and starts pulling her in with him, and eventually she gets out and she goes over into the car. Instead of trying to drive away in the car, she just sits there while we see the snake things attack the, the pieces of the window. Then slowly but surely, the car starts being dragged 
dragged into the ground, basically, and that's where it is. We see the last thing, and she's in the car. It's been dragged underground, and the lights are just facing the, the night sky. Somehow, they're kind of out there like spotlights, but they really shouldn't be that powerful unless station wagons back in the day had some mega fucking lights that I didn't fucking know about. But anyway, and then we go back over to the uh, general store, and we actually get to see what Walter is doing with the fucking Graboid, which is making that money. Smile. Come on, honey. Don't look so afraid. It's not going to hurt you, I promise. Mindy, look up. Smile. Come on. Hold I'll it. Tell you what I'm gonna <laughs> Melvin, get out of there. Uh-huh. Old Chang, slick as snot and I ain't lying. Fifteen lousy bucks. Man of plans ahead. Look, we arm ourselves, we set perimeters, we stand guard. Any of those snake things show up here, we make them extinct. All right. Come on, Bert, get serious. Yeah, you make it sound like a war. What do you people got against being prepared? Where's the sugar? Rambo. Wait a minute, Walter's got a CB radio. Why aren't you calling somebody in Bixby? The police are... Oh, no, we can't reach outside the valley because of the mountains. Uh, Melvin, you're next. Come on, sit down, look scared. Yeah. The phone's out, the road's out. We're on our own. You two are just loving it, aren't you? Come on, Nancy, let's don't get personal about this thing, but we've got to do something. Hell yes. We are completely cut off. we got the cliffs to the north, mountains to the east and the west. That's why I had me settled here in the first place. Geographic isolation. Well, there's got to be some way we can get help. For God's sake, this isn't the moon. What are you going to do, walk the 38 miles to Bixby? Come on. Hey, there's Walter's saddle horses. That's it. You're welcome to them. Somebody could ride to Bixby. That's not bad. It's not bad. Who's best on a horse? And of course, by the sound of that music means that Val and Earl are the best on a horse. Val and Earl basically do everything for these people. Like, what are these other people... How does this guy, Bert and Heather, make their fucking money? That's what I want to know. Because all he does is come into town and buy fucking ammo and store in his fucking little World War Three proof shed. Like, did he make a lot of money and then moved out there and was like, Hey, I can live in this podunk house, like, town forever and... I don't have to worry about shit anymore? Is that why he moved over here? I I really don't fucking know. Like, what do you do to make money? Because it's obvious that all the little shit in town is all done by Val and Earl. The only person that I know that actually do... Actually, the two people that I know that does shit in this town is Walter. Because he's smart as fucking hell, man. He managed to only pay $15 for that shit. And then charges $3 per fucking photo. And the fact that you live in this town means he's gonna get his money back because it's the only fucking general store in town? Like, how fucking stupid are you two? Like, you're smart in some aspects, but you're fucking dumb. And it's basically shown by your fucking trading tactics. Oh my god. Like, here you go. Here's your $15. Now you're gonna go back and fucking blow it in beer and food. He's charging like $2 for a fucking hot dog in fucking 1990. Where you could have gone to a good place and for like $1.50 gotten a really good hot dog. A chili dog, I think, up on that menu was like two fifty. Two fifty in nineteen ninety. Who pays that shit? You do, and you know what you did? You paid with the money he gave you, so he's getting his money back. Fuck! I want to be Walter. 
Like, I could, I could rule this town. I'm going to be the only one, except for Bert, I guess, that really has most of the money in this town. And then you have Nancy, who they talk to other, that gets, like, big, like, orders and has to build, like, pottery kilns, because I guess she makes plates or some shit, or bowls, or, like, you know, makes those shitty fucking things that I made when I was a kid that I don't even know what the fuck they were because it was so fucking distorted, but somehow my mom loved it, but she probably really threw it in the garbage at some point when I was looking. You know you make those, like, mugs for your parents when you're, like, five, and they're like, oh, this is really lovely, really cute, but it looks like a piece of shit, but it happens to be up in their fucking, you know, cupboard still. It's up there, but it's way in the back where nobody can fucking see it. I wonder if she makes that. Because that would be fucking hilarious. Anyway, I'm going way off topic. So Val and Earl, they go and they get the horses. And on their ride towards the mountains to get over there to get into Brixby, they see the Wallace's camp. That's the doctor and his wife. And they notice nobody is there. They dig around because they think they see something. Well, Val notices something. And when they remove a lot of the dirt, they notice that the station wagon is buried in. And so they decide to get the fuck out of there and get to the next town and come up with their plan while they're on their horses. Here's the plan. We don't even stop. Ride like hell. Tonight, we'll keep right on going. We'll walk the horses. That is the plan. I mean, God damn. What the hell are those things? How could they bury a whole station wagon? Why would they do it? Come on, horse. Come on. Get, get. I knew it. Walter wouldn't know a decent horse. He must have bit him in the ass. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They got wind of something they don't like. Yeah. So the horses basically say, uh, you know what, I'm gonna just, we ain't gonna get eaten up, we know that there's something down here, so I'm gonna get the fuck out of here, and they basically dump them, but one of the horses does get grabbed by a bunch of the snakes, and they see them out there. Um, I should also mention, there is one line that I wanted to get, and I didn't get it, because again, it's just something that's really quick, and not necessarily worth the whole, like, five seconds, but... There's a line that uh, Val says, well, they can't fly, can they? And <laughs> you're referring to the snakes. And later on, that's one of the versions of the Graboids, right? And I kind of mentioned it earlier. So it's really funny that they really had things that maybe could have happened or did happen later on in the series. So anyway, the horses, they you know they dump them and they see that the, the weird uh, things are out there. So they shoot the tentacles, which that's what they find out because they, they see that they went away. And all of a sudden, the big fucking Graboid comes out and they decide to try to outrun it which they're able to do they try to jump in between one of those like water pathways that you've seen i don't know if you've ever been out here in california and you've gone from southern california to northern california or northern to southern there's basically like water reservoir ways where all the water is being transmitted down and there are these giant stone like half tunnels or upside down tunnels and that's basically what it is and they go to jump and they miss but the worm is still chasing after him, or the graboid, and it ends up hitting the wall so hard that they kill it, and they're very surprised when they do. Called my ass. He's dead. We killed him. We killed it. Fuck you! <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? Did you notice anything weird a minute ago? I mean, it just happened. What's that? 
So, all of a sudden, Rhonda, she shows up out of the middle of nowhere after they've killed this thing. In the beginning of the thing, they said that Earl thought it was just knocked out cold, but it, like, was going so fast that when they hit the big stone wall, it basically killed itself because it was just trying to get them. They realized that the weird snake things are actually the way that it gets you. It grabs you with those and then it pulls you underground. Uh, Val also realized at the same time that that's also how they are going undetected because they are underground and nobody realizes that that's where they are and that's how they're not able to detect them right away because they can't really see them. So we see Rhonda here and she starts looking at the graboid after they do a little bit of muscle and they're able to remove it from the wall. Now, before we start this clip, I want to talk real quick about how the graboids look. And that is fucking awesome. Like most of the time that you see them, you only see them for a quick second when it like here, when it first busts out of the ground, like the tentacles kind of up close look pretty good they have personality on tune because it looks like it's got a little set of eyes and a mouth that it even makes a little noise when the tentacles but the graboid itself has this like weird big black beak and again you really have to see these things to to really appreciate the puppetry and the work that was put into creating these things because they look ugly like the inside of it and again the thing is is that they're supposed to smell and it's kind of talked about but not talked about fully like they constantly mention it but it's never been like the big key point of the film or doesn't do anything to help them detect it it's really just man there's a big smell it's kind of a way that they start to describe the creatures but again that's something that you can't really see but the creature work even in this scene like you see the length of it and what they've created and i know that's probably very very simple well at least in look like the design of it but it's still really impressive especially when it busts out of the ground and the effects honestly still hold up in most of the scenes that you see the worm come out because it is a giant practical worm for the most part so let's hear more about a little description of what Rhonda believes the graboids to really like how they move and how they work all right together one two three Jesus Christ. Smell like that because it's dead? I don't see any eyes. Must be totally subterranean. And those tentacles. You know, I think they shoot right out of its mouth, and they hook you, and they pull you right in. Good thing we stopped before it killed anybody else. Look, this is important, you know. This is like, well, let's just say it. This is probably the biggest zoological discovery of the century. Hey! Hey, check this out! I found the ass in! Jesus, we really caught something here! Wow. Man, that's one big mother. This must be the old boy had your seismos working overtime. Yeah. Yeah, it must push itself along with these. 
all of them pushing at once. That's why it moves so fast. I mean, this thing had sensors tripping all over the place. No. Hey, Rhonda, you ever heard of anything like this before? Oh, sure, Earl. Everybody knows about them. We just didn't tell you. Oh, hell, man, no one ever saw anything like this. We're really on to something here. I'll tell you one damn thing. Old Chang don't get his slick mitts on this for no measly 15 bucks. You got that right. Woo! All right, here's the plan. We need a, a flatbed. Yeah, right, with a winch? Yeah, five ton, maybe. No, 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 no. Don't want to winch it. Don't want to winch it to tear it all up. All right, a crane. Yeah, a crane with, uh, with lifting straps. Hey, hey, shut up! The way I figure it, there are three more of these things. What? Three more? I've got seismographs all over this valley. Now, if you compare the different readings, here's one at 2 o'clock yesterday. But here's one three miles away at the exact same time. Now, that's two. But here... Yeah, yeah, we'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, where's your truck? Just beyond that hill. So, okay, now she's finally looking at the data that she actually has and realizes, hey, there's a couple more that are out there. Like, she should have noticed, like, well, she kind of did, right? And... It's it's kind of a weird situation. One, they're thinking about the money aspect of everything. In fact, you know what? They got fucked the first time by Walter. They should really try to get something better out of this. But the fact that there's more of them out there kind of creates an issue. And as they go to run away or get away, that's when another one of these things pops up and starts chasing them. And they're actually able to run out, well, barely outrun the thing and get over to rocks. And that's where Rhonda realizes that, hey... You know, they can't go through solid rock, which they probably should realize already because when they tried to go through the concrete that was over there, they that one got fucked up really, really bad. And the one that's actually chasing them right now, uh, Val names Stumpy because that's the one that got caught onto his truck and had one of the tentacles actually ripped off from them. So now they're stuck up on a rock and that's where the three of them start contemplating things and wondering where exactly did these things come from. Got it? They're mutations caused by radiation. Or no, no, no. Government built them. Big surprise for the Russians. Well, there's nothing like them in the fossil record. I'm sure. Okay, so they predate the fossil record. Well, that'd make them a couple of billion years old. And we've just never seen one till now. Right. I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. Well, haven't seen a sign for hours. Must be long gone. Yeah, must be. Hey, why don't you take a little stroll and find out? <sighs> well, we've got to do something. So I really like the fact, and one of the things that we learn about in this film is we don't actually learn about... <laughs> <laughs> where they come from. I know that's kind of weird. I think I said that very awkwardly, but it's true. We really don't find out ever where these things come from. And I really like that. Everything is just conjecture. And this is the only time where they think like, hey, where could they have possibly come from? And I really honestly like the fact that we don't have to go in depth about it. And even to the point that characters in this movie actually name what these creatures are which we'll get to in just a bit i know i've been calling them graboids because that's what they actually are, get called and that's what they get called for the rest of the series except for when we have two other different versions of it in its cycle uh but for the most part that's what these worm things are and i guess there's even a 
previous version that's right before they become the big worm things uh, in general. But it's still really interesting that they decided to not do anything like give any backstory to the creatures other than, hey, there's creatures here, they're attacking everybody, and we just need to fucking survive and not try to go into it too much. I honestly, again, really, really like this in this film. So here they decide to, Val, he decides to go over to the side and see what the hell is going on and see if the guy has left. And when he goes down there and he touches the ground, this, you know, graboid stumpy down there uh, tears up the piece of wood that he's tapping the ground with and he's still there and that's how they realize that they're the things that Edgar died from because he couldn't leave where he was and he just died of thirst. So they sleep on it and they sleep on top of the rock because at least they know that they're safe there since the monsters can't go through it. In the morning, they wake up and you see that uh, Rhonda's laying next to Val. Val kind of gets like all weird about it. Earl has a big ass smile on his face and she wakes up thinking none the wiser except for thanking Val for his jacket. So they basically stand around, they realize that this thing is still not going to leave, and they double check to make sure that he's still there by throwing a shovel into the ground, and then that's when Earl and Val start trying to come up up with an idea of how to escape the situation, but Rhonda, she solves it. Doesn't he have a home to go to? That's why Edgar never got down off that damn tower. I think I have an idea. You know... We're going to have to come up with some sort of plan. He's just going to wait us to death. Yeah, well, I was well, why don't we just make you... it run for it? We outran him yesterday. Run for it? Running's not a plan. Now, running's what you do when the plan fails. Valentine, you're not even trying to think of a plan. Well, it ain't like we got a hell of a lot of options. Always options. We just got to think of them, that's all. All right, well, why don't you start thinking? Well, when the hell do I always have to do all the things? Who died and made you Einstein? You guys don't have a pull vault! <laughs> We just stay where it can't get us. On these residual boulders. My truck's parked right next to one. So we see them then pole vaulting from boulder to boulder because there's somehow a pathway from where they're at to over where the car is. Okay, fine. You know what? They're in Nevada. They're in the middle of kind of the mountain range-ish desert type area. So maybe there's a bunch of them. But there just happens to be the perfect amount to get them from there to the car. Well, the truck. So they do manage to pole vault all the way over to a truck. And again, you know, I asked this question and... When they put the pole into the ground, wouldn't the graboid grab the pole? Like, if it's supposed to be super quick, especially since it has those, like, fins that allow it to push itself really, really fast, like it's swimming in the dirt, like it's a fucking dolphin in the ocean or some shit like that, like, it should be able to just grab the pole fuck them up, throw them into the dirt, and then the other two are just gonna have to lift that one die. Like, oh my god, it got Rhonda. Oh, well, let's just keep you fucking going. Or, oh no, it got Earl. But we'll fuck Earl. I never liked him anyway. You know, like, situations like that. But no, they managed to either put it in a space where they're able you know, go from rock to rock. Uh, and there's actually very funny when Earl first tries to make the pole vault. He looks like he's not gonna make it, but he just makes it back over to the rock where he's at. 
So maybe they're sticking it on rock. I don't know. But to me, there's a lot of like sand and loose dirt in between the rocks. So that's where the pressure would be. And that's where a graboid would realize that they're at and try to grab them. I would have really liked to see that. But we do get them try to escape from Stumpy out there uh, when they do get to the truck. So they're able to pole vault all at the same time into the truck. Uh, he tries to get them. They manage to get him off. And then they drive the truck back into perfection. Meanwhile, leaving Graboids uh, all the way to the town. But of course, you know, that was just what they're doing. And then when they actually show back up in the town, they explain to everybody exactly what these beasts are. No, no, the snake things are just their tongues or something. These animals are huge. I'm sorry, I'm having a real difficult time with this. Come on, you guys, answer. Come back. Hey, Walter, where's Bert and Heather? I can't reach him. I guess they're still driving around somewhere. Hey, Rhonda, what's the name you call those things? Where do they come from? Huh? I don't know. You're a scientist, aren't you? Yeah, aren't you supposed to have a theory or something? Look, these creatures are absolutely unprecedented. Yeah, but where do they come from? Yeah. Doesn't matter where they come from. No name. <laughs> we discovered that we should name them. Walter, forget the damn name. Now, me and Earl think we better get the hell out of this valley. Hang on, Val. Let's not go off half-cocked. Yeah, well, somebody's bound to come check on us once they see the road is out and the... Lines are down. Yeah, that's how it works. And that's when we fade over to the help and we notice that he's been eaten by one of the Graboids too. He came to the spot where all the rocks had fallen over and all you see on the ground is just his hard hat. So we go back over to the bar. Now it's kind of interesting that they're basically trying to like stop Walter. Walter is thinking about money. How can I monetize this? And we should be able to name it because we're the ones that found it. I completely agree because if you don't have a name for it, how are people going to pay for all the merchandise? You're going to have Graboid plushies, Graboid the, the toilet paper, Graboid the magazine, Graboid the podcast, Graboid. You could do everything. Maybe you're going to make yourself some like Graboid stew. It might smell like shit. But who the fuck knows how it tastes if you're able to actually catch one or you're just going to fucking fake it and just be like, yeah, this is totally made of Graboids and it happens to be like horse or some shit like that. You know, how many people eat horse out in the fucking desert? I don't fucking know. But it's just like really ridiculous to like, not, I would, ridiculous is just the wrong word for it. Like, it's really funny that like he's very focused on making the money as a very big stereotype at the same time. We have them, they're just more worried about how everybody's going to survive out of the whole situation that's going on here. So after we see that the help basically that's coming has been destroyed or killed, uh, we cut back over into the general store and that's where they, you know, we still get to hear more about what's the plan for the situation as well as Walter trying to figure out what the name for the Graboids are. One of them comes near me, and I'll just hit him with a five-pound pickaxe. No, you don't understand, Nestor. They come up from underneath the ground, and they grab you. They sense the slightest vibration through the ground, even footsteps. That's how they hunt. Hey, so like we don't vibrate, right? Maybe they won't even come to here. Maybe they'll leave us alone. Chainsaw. That's what I'll use. Hey, 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 wake up! Now look! You see, they're headed right for us. Look, 
They trapped Edgar here, grabbed old Fred right here, nailed those two poor suckers on the road, and the doctor's place is right here. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. We have got to get out. I'm going to go get Mandy. Oh, she's okay. I started playing down the street. That's what I like. Graboid. That's it. Graboid. Jesus, Walter. We're going to be sorry you don't give it a name. I totally agree with Walter. These things really need to have a name. And again, it's for, you know, commercial purposes. So they explain that Rhonda has an idea how to get everybody out of the town, or at least where they need to get to. If they can get in the cars and they can drive to the mountains, they can get away from where these things are, at least what these things can do, right? Because they can't go through the rock. It's a very, very good plan. And then all of a sudden, fucking Melvin starts, like, screaming on the outside and, like, throws a basketball in at Earl. And basically is, like, crying fucking wolf outside. And fucking guy, I wish that kid would get eaten by a fucking graboid at some point in this fucking movie. It would make my day because he's just fucking annoying like first he just like he tries to steal from the register when they're taking photos of everybody oh melvin stop it like fucking like kick that kid's fucking ass he laughs at them when they're cleaning their shit he fucking tries to get them to buy beer for him that fucking guy probably has so many brain cells already dead that beer's not gonna do shit and then here he's gonna fucking go out there and start like oh i'm being attacked by the things but haha i'm not Meanwhile, calling forth the fucking things, which start chasing everything, like everybody around outside of town. And we see Nancy's daughter, who's fucking oblivious to everything that's going around her, fucking kids. Uh, and she's just pogoing out there, so they have to save her, and Val's able to save her at the last possible minute. Once they've calmed everything down, right? Because they stopped all the vibration and all the moving, but then, of course, she's the one that's calling everybody. They dump themselves into the dirt why they get into the dirt i don't fucking understand or get up really quick and she's pogoing on like you know road on asphalt i would believe that they can't go through the asphalt so wouldn't that be like the good place to go though well no see even the beginning when the workers were working and they were jackhammering things like they went through the bottom and that's how the graboid was able to kill them right because it basically caused a bunch of a big fucking like uh, rock slide or whatever, and, but it still wasn't able to go through it, and that was the asphalt that they were basically hammering through. So unless this is a just a very thin dirt road or some shit, but it looks like it's a regular fucking road. So fuck if I know. All I know is that they're able to save her. They gather everybody up and they go back into Walter's store. Now that they're in Walter's store, they discuss on how exactly they're going to get out there and the fact that they don't need to make any noise. Now, I should mention that before they get in there, one of the Graboids does manage to almost grab Rhonda. And he does it by, she gets her legs like tangled in chicken wire, which must hurt like a motherfucker. And like it starts moving like and trying to pull her in and... Val tells her she needs to take off her pants. So I guess that's one way to get her pants off, right? Hey, oh, uh, where's the stupid little rim shot button? I don't have one. So anyway, he carries her. They manage to get inside. And when they're inside, you know, Miguel is actually able to find her. And he's the cow guy uh, from the beginning, is able to find her a pair of pants. And they discuss on how they're going to be able to get out of there without making too much noise when something goes off. What are we going to do? You know, how long till they go away? Now they got the patience of Job. 
sit and goddamn wait till I hear something that sounds like lunch. We gotta have a plan. I got a plan. You and Val drive the truck up to the mountain, walk the fix and get some help. Walter, those scum suckers ate our radials. But you can take my truck. Nah, we need a major four-wheel drive just to get up that Jeep trail. Nah, that trail's all messed up. Turn it off! And that's when one of the graboids comes up because, you know, it's not just about the, the little cooler making too much noise. They're also throwing soda fucking everywhere at the same time. That's all packed up in front of it while they try to move to unplug it. They think they've got it, but when the graboids comes out, grabs Walter, and it's the really the only kill that you see on screen where somebody actually gets grabbed by the monster itself. Everything else is people really going into the ground or it's the graboids dying. So they all escape and they all get onto the top of the roof. Um, and there's a scene, you know, Rhonda, she's trying to reach them. Val and everybody realize there's a hole that leads them up to the top. They ask her to jump up there. She says, I can't do it. And she gets thrown outside of it. But she manages to climb up the water tower that's inside of the town. Uh, and so everybody is on top. Melvin, he comes out. What are you guys doing? Who's inside of his house. And they tell him to get on top of his roof of wherever he's hiding. He's like, oh. And then the fucking thing comes up. And I'm like, yes, it's going to fucking eat him. Please eat fucking Melvin. And then Melvin manages to escape. Motherfucker. Like... <laughs> Why? Why? Just just eat the fucking kid because we're in the fucking 90s and you can't kill a fucking teenager? Is that the problem? I'm not asking you to eat the stupid pogo girl. I'm asking you to eat this son of a bitch right here. Just eat that motherfucker. Just do it. Do it already. But you know what? I have to ruin this for you because he doesn't get fucking even eaten. Not even. Maybe he gets even at some point. But he does not. Because you know why? You know why? He's the fucking main hero of the third one. Are you fucking kidding me? This is what we get? I have to live through Melvin again? At least he's not in Tremors 2. But fuck this bullshit. He needed to be eaten right here, right fucking now. Not the other people that are going to get killed. And honestly, there's only going to be one other dude that gets killed. And I don't think he deserves it either. So... Everybody is basically hiding up on top, and that's when they're able to actually get a hold of Bert. Well, Bert calls out on his CB radio, and he they're able to get the, the CB radio from inside the place and bring it up. Originally, I was like, wait, how does it not have any power? But I realized maybe it works off of batteries. I don't fucking know, but it definitely doesn't have a power cord to any walls in there, and there's no generators running that I can see. So... He he and Val talk, and Val explains that there are monsters out there, and they're like, what do you mean that there's things out there? And he's trying to explain to them that they work underground, they work through sound. Meanwhile, you know, Heather here, she puts their ammunition, because they went out hunting, and that's where we get the dumping joke. He basically says that you would think after eating that much sheep that they'd have to take a dump somewhere, but they're underground, so their shits are basically underground shits. Uh, that's kind of disgusting if you ask me. Or they just secrete it. Maybe that's what they get. I don't want to fucking think about how these things shit, to be honest with you. So they go out there uh, and he basically says, hey, you know, what's 
this is what happens. And she's, meanwhile, fucking vibrating her fucking bullets in sand. And if anybody, you can tell me what that means. I really don't care. Um, but I was a little bit interested. But all I know in this film is it makes it so that there's fucking noise. And one of the Graboids basically busts into their, like, little bunker down below. He doesn't believe so. Bert thinks that, oh, well, shit, they're coming, whatever. They're not going to be a break in here. And yet they're able to break through the walls. Now... If the cement from that, you know, waterway was able to kill the one that's going through, why did this one survive? Maybe this one is tougher than the other ones. Maybe it's a little more evolved. I don't fucking know. But it does manage to break through the wall. And we see the wall of fucking guns that both Heather and Bert have. And it is a ton of fucking guns. And none of them are fucking working. And he almost manages to grab Bert and starts pulling him in. But she's able to grab a shotgun and shoot that tentacle off. And then that allows Bert to grab the elephant gun and blow its fucking brains out. And just fucking kills it it's great the the monster attacking through the wall looks fantastic it's only the front part of it even if though you see some of the puppetry and stuff like that but it looks really really good and that's when after they've killed it he radios back over to val to oh god he man just fucking use the word broke into the wrong goddamn rec room didn't you you bastard we killed it! You got that? We killed that mother humper! Come back! <laughs> uh, roger that, Bert, and uh, congratulations. Be advised, however, there are two more. Repeat, two more mother humpers. Okay, why can't you say motherfucker? Like, okay, is there some, like, weird, like, 90s thing going on here that I don't know about? Are they trying to make sure that everything's ready for TV? I know the video that I watched, it was, you know, not a TV-edited version of the movie. So, Mother Humper, because he said shit, he said ass, he said a bunch of other things. I think they've even said fuck once. But because this is PG-13, we can't have any other fucking words. We probably already used our fuck for this movie. I really wish they could have just said motherfucker, because it would have been so much better. But you know what? Honestly, Mother Humper kind of leads towards the charm of the film. I may be upset by the fact that they're just not using language they should be using, at least that I feel that they should be using. But at the same time, you know what? It does lead to the charm of this film, that they're not necessarily saying the words that I believe they should be saying. So Bert then calls over to everybody on the CB radio and lets them know that they've actually killed one of them, and everybody celebrates. But the celebration doesn't last very long because they realize that, hey, one, he can't shoot the dirt, two, that there's actually not going to be a way that they can escape there by using Bert's car. I guess we don't get to make fun of Bert's lifestyle anymore, huh? Say, Bert, any chance you can get the other two? Come back. Yeah. One second, pal. You didn't get penetration even with the elephant gun. Shit. Good Lord. Bell. We can't get him. I never figured I'd have any shoot through dirt. Best goddamn bullet stuff there is. Come back. Let me see that. Bird, listen. Forget shooting them. Tell me this. Can you get to your truck? Oh, no problem. Good, because you have the only truck in the valley and get up that Jeep trail. Now listen. Here's the plan. 
You and Heather go for help. You get to the mountains. You keep you guys! going. You guys! Hang on a second. He's up to something! Well, it isn't our old pal Stump. Bastard. Hey, Rhonda. What do you think it's trying to do now? Why do you keep asking me? So that's the other, another running joke of the film is since she's a scientist, but she's only a college student, they kind of all ask her what exactly is going on, but she's living experience at the same time as they are. Over there at Burton Heather's, we see that the truck that they would use to go out and get them, the graboid that's there, pops all the tires and starts basically destroying the truck. So they're getting smarter, which is really crazy. So as each one dies, it's like they're all connected in like some type of hive mind, and they all learn something new about what they shouldn't do. So they're trying to figure out exactly what Stumpy's doing, and of course, like I said, they rely on Rhonda, but Rhonda really doesn't know anything of what's going on more than what they know. And so they watch a little more when Stumpy, he actually starts to grab the foundation of the building and figure out if he can do something with it. So it's kind of scary to know that they're actually learning. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't making no noise. Why is he bothering them for? Well, it's like it's studying the buildings, trying to figure them out. They can feel our vibrations, but they can't find us. Looks to me like they're coming up with a plan. So that's when Stumpy decides to go after the trailer that Mr. I'm going to hit him with a pickaxe or get him with a chainsaw is now on top of. And he manages to actually topple the whole thing. And before the guy can get away, where he decides that the best place, he could like, get on top of something. He could have climbed on top of the goddamn thing that just toppled over. All he had to do is jump back up and he could have gotten up there. But no, he decides to get on top of a fucking tire. A tire, really? You realize that the tire itself has a fucking hole on it. And it pulls him through the center of the tire, kind of like an accordion. And that's the last that we see of Nestor. And they all wonder, you know, why did he have to go after him and everything? And then uh, they come up with yet another plan that they're going to use to be able to actually get everybody out of the plan. And it happens to involve a bulldozer. Well, you're going to have to forget about the truck. Yeah, we got you, Heather. Now look. The situation hasn't changed. We still have to make it to solid rock. There's got to be some way. Like what? There's nothing left that can make it to those mountains. Hey, Val. Quiet, man. Doesn't matter now. They know we're here. Oh, shit. You need a helicopter is what we need. Or a goddamn tank. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The cat. Could we take the cat? Oh, Jesus. It's slower than hell. Yeah, but it weighs better than 30 tons. There's no way they could lift 30 tons. Could they? I mean... But we can't all fit on the bulldozer. No. No, but we could, uh... drag something, though. We could, we, we, we could pull a car behind it. I don't know. Hell, that old semi-trailer. Its tires are flat. Doesn't matter. That cat can pull anything. Well, all right. We just roll on out of here. We've got a plan. So now that they finally got their bulldozer plan, they decide to act it out. They're going to take one of the other little, like, 
uh, I don't know what exactly it is. It almost looks like a 4x4 ATV, something else, or some type of like a little piece of farm equipment that has a regular set of tires and everything on it. Miguel is going to lower himself down there, and then they're going to turn it on and allow that to run. So that way that either Val or Earl, they could go off and run to wherever the uh, you know bulldozer is and get that thing started. So they decide to, you know, Earl, he's like trying to play the older figure like, look, I'm going to go in case anything happens. I'm the older of the two. And Val's like, no, I'm run faster. He's like, no, but I can go ahead and drive the bulldozer better. And so they argue. They Rochambeau, of course, you know, Val loses once again. And Earl's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so there's a really a little bit of a heartfelt speech. Hey, it was too short to really put in here. But then all of a sudden, Val fucking sucker punches Earl and runs after the bulldozer once Miguel has everything running off in the distance. And right before he's about to make it, the uh, whatever the car thing, it topples over, which does attract Stumpy. Uh, but it does topple over and it stops and then they're able to hear the fact that Val's running towards the bulldozer. Now that they can hear Val, they start chasing after him instead, but he stops cold. And it's actually really funny because it's right in front of him. Because he's not making any sudden movements, they're not able to actually find him. But he starts, like, waving around his, like, non-stumpy little tentacle thing. And he's got to play, like, hopscotch and, like, stand up on one leg while it's basically searching for him, trying to feel him out. Everybody in town decides they're going to try and make as much noise as possible, but that doesn't really work. And then Rhonda realizes that the way that she can get him over there is by turning on the little faucet or spigot or whatever you want to call it for the water tower and emptying the water onto the ground, therefore creating enough vibration so that way he can get away with it. Uh, she's able to actually do it. It catches Stumpy's attention before he's able to grab Val. And then he rushes over there and he's able to run over to the bulldozer and get everything attached and get it on the way over. Now, I really wish they had done it, but there wasn't really anything done in terms of danger for Rhonda because she's on that wooden structure and you would think that when the water hit that area of the ground that he would start like grabbing for shit. Maybe it reached up, it realized that it was water and there's nothing else really there. But you think that since he was trying everything, including trying that, uh, it does pull over the ladder that she's got, but it doesn't do anything else. It should have started trying to destroy the water tower and maybe put her in danger and somebody had to go grab her or something else. But ultimately, they're able to actually survive, get out of there, get on the bulldozer, and go towards Bert and Heather's place. Meanwhile, when we get up there, we see that they're putting together a bunch of basically pipe bombs from homemade materials, as they've called it. And they're getting ready to go. They agree to go with everybody because they're going to be able to drive that. But when they stop, the two graboids basically try to distort the area around it and sink the bulldozer into the ground. So they have to keep it moving because they realize that they cannot lift those things. Just as both Earl and Val hypothesized when they said that there's no way that they could lift 30 tons. Which is, I guess, true, so they can't really lift those things. So they grab Bert and Heather, and as they're driving off, we hear a little about Bert's lament from leaving his little compound. Food for five years. A thousand gallons of gas, air filtration, water filtration, Geiger counter, bomb shelter. Underground, goddamn monsters. 
So they drive away and they go towards the mountains and they notice that they're still following in the distance and that there's still two of them left uh, because they can see the dust signatures for two of those people. As they get closer to where they need to go, all of a sudden a sinkhole forms and it drops the bulldozer down to the sinkhole, allowing it or basically making it so that it can't move anymore. They realize that they've got to protect themselves somehow because the Braboids are going to attack and they start using the bombs to basically scare them away. They come up with a plan that they're going to use uh, to basically make a run for the rocks in the distance. There they are! Did you get one? I don't know. No, there's still two of them. Look, two different dust trails. Sure made them think twice, though. What the hell's in those things, Bert? Two household chemicals in the proper proportion. Got you covered, Rhonda. Well, what if we throw one that way? Where do we want to go? Then when it explodes, I mean, if it drives them away, we run like goddamn bastards. Uh, pardon my French. <laughs> what if they don't get scared? What if they don't run? I don't think it does get them. It hurts them. There's some sense to desire. They've got to run. Oh, hell, she's got my boat. That's it. We're making a run for it. We're going for the rock. I don't know, man. They're too fast. Cannot run them away. Yo, Melvin. This will make him think twice. Everybody ready to run! So Bert finally gives Melvin the gun that he wants, and I hope Melvin turns it on him. Okay, I'm not gonna go there. But so they all decide to make a run for it. They throw the piece of homemade dynamite, it explodes, and they're able to run and almost gets them, but they're able to get out of there before the graboids can get them and they get onto the rocks. Uh, at one point, Melvin goes to turn the gun and try to shoot at them, realizes that it's empty. Again, this is a really fucking hilarious line in the movie where he says, You asshole, you gave me an empty gun. And Bert looks up to him and says, Made you run fast, though, didn't it? Like, it reminds me of that scene in Major Pain in the beginning when the guy's, like, talking to him and he's like, you know, oh, I broke my I broke my leg, I broke my leg. And he's like, here, give me your hand. And then he breaks his fingers. He's like, you broke my fucking fingers. He's like, but you're not thinking about your leg now, are you? Fucking love Major Pain, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this is such a stupid fucking movie, too. But anyway, so now they're trapped here on the rock. And so now they're wondering, what the fuck are they going to do now? Now what? Can we make it to the mountains? Use Bert's explosives? No way. We need 50 of those bombs. That's it. We're not getting off this rock. Well, we're not going to pole vault out of here. That's for damn sure. Wait a minute. What are y'all talking about? It's like you're giving up or something. They'll just wait out there till we're dead. That's exactly what they do. Wait, wait. Wait. For Christ's sake, we could have made a stand at our place. We had food, water. You can't fight them like that. So you two screw-ups hold us way the hell out here? I... I... I want you to just back off, Spring Bean. 
You know, we could have left your worthless ass on the roof. I wish you had, fearless leader. Who the hell put you two in charge? Don't push me, Just Bert. back Just off, Don't Bert. goddamn push me! Them grab boys don't kill him, I will. What? They'd have torn your place out from under you in a half an hour. Come on. Come on. Just let it go. Let it go. Forget about it. I know he does. He thinks he knows everything. Okay, look, you may have had somewhat of a nice fortress, but one of them busted into your fucking place, okay? Like, it literally busted through the walls, and you think that that's gonna save you? Oh, we could have stayed up in my place, man. We could have been up here. Well, fuck you, Bert. There's no way that you would have survived in that fucking building with both of them fucking attacking it. They learned the fact that they could go and they could actually destroy things because they started destroying the whole fucking general store. Were you there? You were also pretty fucking happy with the fact that they were there to fucking save you and get up there and, oh, I'm going with this plan. We're going to go up into the fucking mountains. You were like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. This is the perfect fucking plan. And then all of a sudden, because things have gone south, you're like... Fuck, we could have just stayed in my fucking place. Because my fucking place is better than any fucking plan that you could have had. You stupid piece of shit. Oh, I can't believe it. And then she's got to fucking... You got to be there with your fucking wife. I'm like, no, no, you're okay, honey. They think they know everything. Well, you know what? They've dealt with these things longer. Maybe you managed to kill one. They killed one, too, in a different way. They don't have a fucking elephant gun like you fucking had. They had just their fucking... I was going to say wits, but... They have their fucking luck with them and to make sure that they didn't know exactly how to kill it, but they actually figured out how to kill it at the same time. So it's just a weird flip for him. And they all basically are awaiting their deaths at this point. And, you know, Bert, he starts to think about what he's going to do if he starts to, you know, die of dehydration. If it comes to starvation, I know what I'm doing. Take one of these, walk right out there with the fuse lit, and let them take me down. Boom. Good Lord, honey. Now, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> no, no, it gives me an idea. Going fishing-like. There's one. Straight out in front. See if we can keep him right there. All right, how much we need? I don't know, but pretty quick. Uh, 15 seconds at least. What kind of fuse is that? Cannon fuse. What the hell are you using it for? My cannon. You guys watch yourself. Right out there, about 30. Oh, man, you're not going to do your lasso thing. Just because you're no good with a rope. So he decides to play fishing with the Graboids, and they basically find where the one is by throwing rocks into the specific area. After they throw the rocks there and the Graboid is ready to go get it, they throw out the dynamite with the lit fuse, and it ends up in the area that the Graboid's at. They pull it out, and the Graboid, not Stumpy, uh, the other one, grabs it and swallows it and goes back underground. When he does, shortly thereafter, everything goes to plan, and the thing ignites, blowing the shit out of the Graboid and completely covering everybody with the Graboid guts. It just, like, starts flying everywhere. They get all excited because they see, they're like, yay, we killed it. Everything's like, oh, no, here comes all the fucking guts. Ah! It's like raining fucking Graboid uh, blood and shit like that on top of them. Hey, that could be a new Slayer album. Raining Graboid blood. 
that might be pretty good. I'm going to get a nice fucking sick guitar solo in there. Maybe get Kevin Bacon on the mic for one song. It could be really good. Anyway, so they decide to try, since it worked with one, maybe it'll work with the other one. And they go ahead and get everything ready, and they throw it out there. Now, when they do, the Graboid grabs it, and everybody's cheering and everything. But this Stumpy must be the most intelligent one, except for the fact that he uh, wasn't able to actually pull them down and got one of his tentacles ripped out. But maybe if they are a hive mind-based creature, that all of a sudden he has the knowledge that everybody's had, and basically he's like, okay, I know how to spit it out. But he doesn't just spit it out like, ooh, I'm going to spit it out. He's able to fucking toss it perfectly, and it lands where all the fucking other sticks of fucking pipe bombs are like they're back there and they all blow up and not that impressive of an explosion i should say like you would think it might have actually killed somebody because it would be huge because they've got like 30 fucking pipes in there or some shit like that but no it only creates a small explosion puts everybody on the dirt and everybody's able to get back up there and that's where they realize that there's one last thing that they could possibly do and um because he's got one left, he's left kind of out in the open, and they fell really far back. Rhonda, Earl, and Val. And he realizes that there's got to be a way, and there's one of those bombs left, that he could actually kill him. And he does come up with an idea, but see, they're all stuck out there, and they're basically kind of frozen in place, because they know that that thing could be coming after them and killing him, poor Stumpy. So everybody back on the rock, they actually start making a bunch of noise, but that's when he realizes that this thing's not falling for it, and he creates the running plan. Wait, wait, wait. trying to trick us. Use your bomb. It's our last one. What else are you going to use it for? So what if we make it to the rocks? We'll be dead in three days anyway. Well, I want to live for the three days. What the hell? What's the matter? Use the bombs, for God's sake. Throw that bomb, man. Scare him away. Throw the bomb. This bastard ain't smarter than us. For Christ's sake, Val. I'm gonna go for it. Go for what? So his plan is actually relatively simple and kind of ingenious because there just happens to be a cliff in the distance. Like, we've been going up all this way so far and we haven't actually seen where they're exactly at. And just some deus ex machina bullshit, there's a cliff over there. So what his plan is, is to actually run to the cliff, then throw the the bomb or the grenade or whatever you want to call it behind it so that it scares it because if you remember correctly when they were using it and how they actually got to the rocks was they threw it in front of them so that it would spread them off and they would run away and give them enough time so even though the thing is a lot faster than they are it might get really scared because of the loud noise and then basically run past them and run off the cliff which it ultimately does Rhonda ends up joining him in the running over there and they get pushed out of the way at the last possible second one because she has the his lighter for some reason and two you know he wants to make sure that he saves everybody he jumps out of the way the graboid runs past them or swims past them comes out the other side of the cliff and falls to its death and basically splats out down there 
Um, and then we get the last little bit of the movie where we see that, you know, both Val and Earl, they're going to try to go make themselves a big name for themselves. And Earl basically tries to get Val to, you know, show that he's got feelings for Rhonda. And then we get some sweet, sweet Reba McIntyre to end the movie. Now, the second we hit Bixby, we start making some phone calls. I mean, we could make some real money on this thing. We could get in People magazine. People? Hell. National Geographic. Yeah. 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 Smile. Hey. Bert, loaned me his camera. Yeah, he gives his tires, too. It's all pretty exciting, huh? There's going to be major research, and I'm going to be in on it. <laughs> no, the first thing to do is take some pictures of that one we dug up. Yeah, yeah. Pictures seem like a good idea. Yeah, well, um, thanks for everything, you know, saving my life and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, you're welcome. Maybe I'll see you sometime? Uh-huh. Working up to it. What am I doing? I mean, what's a woman like her want with a guy like me? She's going for a damn PhD. Rhonda? Yeah? I, I, I just wanted to. If you 
And so that was Tremors. Um, it's really, really tough with this film because I have to tell you, I honestly love this movie. Like, a lot of it is just kind of like little gripes here and there, but fuck Melvin. Fucking right in the ass. Why does he fucking have to survive this whole fucking movie? There's no point for that character to be in this fucking film other than be fucking annoying. Even with a little girl, like, she at least did something, right? She caused the Tremors to pop up at one point in the fucking movie and they had to save her or something. Melvin was just a fucking pain in the ass complaining that he never got to have a fucking gun that he scared everybody multiple times he came out with a fucking tongue thing around his neck acting like it was attacking him he tried another thing and that brought the things over with the basketball and bullshit like that like fuck that character fuck him right in the ass but otherwise you know the movie is great this is a really fun movie to watch like if you have never ever seen tremors in your life you need to do yourself a favor and go watch this film because it's super campy the creature effects are fucking awesome the main characters are really good the side characters are a little eh, but they suffice for what it is the dialogue's a little shitty you know and Honestly, I'm really like happy with how well the movie held up after all of these years. I'm very, very, very surprised that I enjoyed it just as much as when I first saw it as when I just saw it again right now. And like I said, the last time that I've seen this movie was probably about... 10 years ago. I'm, I'm guessing that range because I believe sci-fi had a giant marathon of every Tremors movie at that time. Uh, and they're all really campy and really fun. I mean, this is a franchise that, you know, it kind of dips in a bit in the middle, but it gets fun again with even one of the most recent ones like you heard last week from uh, Ben from the Angry Dead podcast. So, it's definitely worth your time. So what would I have to rate this movie if I have to rate this movie? Well, I would give this a 3 out of 5 on the gore scale. It's not really that gory for people. Uh, you know, people dying, anything like that. There's a couple of gory, like, looking scenes. You see a head at one point. It's PG-13. But when, you know, Walter gets it, it's pretty impressive. And the fact when everything blows up and the guts of the you know graboids when you see them whenever they've died anything like that it looks really fantastic uh for the craft factor i give it a two out of five and it really comes down to the dialogue and the um the side characters the side characters like you know miguel stereotypical walter stereotypical even the guy in the camper i think his name is nestor like, not really worthwhile. Nancy and her daughter, eh, Melvin fucking sucks. Uh, even Bert and Heather, who, you know, they're not terrible. Uh, Bert is entertaining. He is the kind of the kooky, crazy, like, you know, doomsday prepper type guy. Uh, I don't mind that so much. But really, when it comes to Val and Earl, they're the heart of this fucking movie. They are not phoning it in. It is just a fantastic and great, like, they have great comedic timing with each other. This movie is fun, funny, and entertaining. So the fun factor of this movie is a 5 out of 5. I mean, you can't have any more fun uh, with a monster movie than you can have with this film. I really wish that everybody would see it. So overall... What do I give it? Now, I'm not giving it a full 5 out of 5 because I believe it does lack in a couple areas. Uh, I wish it was rated R. I wish the language would have been better. But again, that does add to the campiness of the film. So I'm giving it a 4 out of 5 stumpies in total. So I do think that you should see it. I really enjoy this film. I may have nitpicked a little more than I'm used to. But I think everybody should go. Now, 
I wanted to talk real fast about anniversaries. And like I said, the anniversary of the show is about to pop up on September 23rd. And we've got two films before then. And I was talking with somebody. And, you know, we were... (laughs) He sent me an image. And this is Dave, uh, which you guys all know. And he sent me an image of Howard the Duck. Okay? And he's like, oh, because we were talking about Marvel on Twitter. Uh, and I know how he feels about Marvel, but I was making the joke, oh, you should do Howard the Duck. And he's like, well, why haven't you done it yet? And I was like, oh, that's because I made a mistake when it came to the anniversary show. See, every anniversary show, I want to do a movie that I really either want to talk about or I actually love or secretly love. Um, and uh, I'm doing two this year, this time. We're going to do one to end it and one to begin it. And I'm doing an audible because i was going to do another film um and so for our next film uh it's going to be well howard the duck across the sea of stars lies another world a world almost exactly like ours this is where he lives he's 27 years old single but searching favorite sports windsurfing and aikido favorite pastimes cigars and sex He has everything, except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. To redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Until he discovers just who he really is. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck. Trapped in a world he never made. Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. So, Howard the Duck is one of these films that I watched uh, amazingly a lot when I was a kid and loved every minute of it. Now, I have not seen it in a long time, and I'm pretty sure nostalgia glasses are going to totally make me give this a 5 out of 5, but we'll have to wait and see. But it is available for streaming on YouTube and Amazon and iTunes Rental. You have to rent it in all those places. But I'm pretty sure that you could find it out there somewhere complete. Um, There's bound to be something that has Howard the Duck uh, that you could watch it in a way that you'd like to watch it. So that's going to be the film for the next podcast. Now there's one other thing I want to talk to you guys about. There's a couple people, new listeners that reached out. Uh, One, his name is Scott. The other one is emma and i really appreciate that you guys reached out one reached out through email the other through facebook um i'm really glad that you found the the show and you really enjoyed the show and that you answer the questions i or at least let me know how you found the show uh which is great so it means that you know 
<laughs> new listeners mean everything to me, uh, as well as anybody who listens, and old listeners to the show and stuff like that. So I want your guys' feedback on the Slenderman episode. That was a bonus episode, and that's just us going to the thing. And we created a little video. Yeah, it was in my car. It wasn't necessarily the most professional thing, but I want to know if you guys want more little things like that. Did you enjoy it? Did you like hearing about something that was new? We went into a little more depth about it. Um, if you do, then I could do that type of stuff more often. Like, uh, and again, I'm going to say this, uh, you know, you guys need to see Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Uh, you know, I made a video on the Instagram account for Instagram TV. Um, I really, really love that movie, and I wish I had more than just the six or seven minutes that I even talked about it. I'd like to get a bunch of people together and do something like that for that as well. But if you're a part of the Do You Love Horror group uh, on Facebook, we had a live chat. It was fantastic. Uh, I thank Alex from Beyond the Void podcast for putting that together uh, and us all participating in it. Um, and it was so much fun. And I loved watching the movie with everybody. And so that's another thing I'd like to do at some point is maybe a watch party where we could all get together and we could all watch the same film at the same time and make comments and those types of things. Either do something you're streaming and you're watching us live as you're watching the movie or whatever you want to do. But um, I do want feedback on the Slenderman because I could do some more bonus episodes that are like that. Uh, and really kind of talk about the movie without doing all the clips and just kind of going from what we've experienced um, and then just leave the regular episodes like this just to have something different every once in a while if you guys would like it. So please let me know. You can let me know on Twitter, uh, T underscore T underscore podcast on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast, terrible terror podcast at gmail.com. You can just send me in an email. Uh, I still use the horror amino from every once in a while, so you can hit me up there if you want, but I tend to respond to to Facebook and Twitter the fastest. Email, um, I need to get better at, but I have been checking it because I get a lot of random spam in there. It really sucks. Love, oh, you've been tagged in this or you've been phoned. It's mostly Twitter spam, so kind of sucks, but that's just the way it is. But I will try to respond to everybody as fast as I can. Uh, and always, if you have suggestions for movies that you'd like to see, it'd be great. Like uh, Scott, who wrote in, and he found us uh, by listening to The Terror Train, looking for Terror Train, and my episode popped up, and so he listened to it. Um, and so he suggested a movie that's going to happen in November, um, and I'm not going to spoil that for you right now, so uh, letting him know that he's going to get a little special thing there. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something, this is part one. So this is the end of this quote-unquote season. I know a lot of people don't like the whole thing of, like, seasons and everything like that, but, uh, you know, for me, this is kind of the way I see it. It's a season because it's the end of the, you know, the, the, the uh, until the birthday of the show. So this is going to be the last one of season three, technically. And then we'll go into the anniversary episode, which will be, uh, you know, something fun, I think, that I hinted at last year. And I think that will be fun to look at. So really, you can get two really fun episodes, I hope, back to back. Uh, and with that being said, uh, please go back and check out the other episodes. Uh, make sure that you look out for all the fun that's going to happen in Halloween, um, where we're going to talk about some superhero movies. And I think I have something special set up for everybody with that. And I hope that I can get it done <laughs> relatively soon so I don't go crazy. But I thank you guys so much for listening. And with that being said, next week, watch Howard the Duck. And we'll see you next time.